Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. Artificial intelligence could be coming to a classroom near you. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Have you ever heard of ChatGPT? What about Dolly? Your kids might have. Both of the tools are types of artificial intelligence, and they've been causing quite the buzz lately. Microsoft, speaking of deals, reportedly investing $10 billion in OpenAI. That is the parent company of the popular chatbot, ChatGPT. When it comes to writing essays, students are turning to new intelligence software called ChatGPT. It's a computer program that can produce perfect answers or even essays. Amar Reshi asked a computer program to write a book. I think it was write a children's book about a young girl who creates her own AI. And in a weekend, Alice and Sparkle was finished. And now the tools have started to make their way into high school and college classrooms. AI has some educators worried about cheating, while others think it's necessary to embrace the technology and find ways it can enhance learning. Here now to tell us more is Char Dastin, a freelance reporter covering education for WBEZ. Also with us is Brady Gunning, an English teacher at Jones College Prep, who's making use of ChatGPT in his classroom. So, Char, give us the basics here. What is ChatGPT? So, ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence. Um, that means it's a computer program, but it's trained on thousands and thousands of books and articles and web pages. Um, and that training is so that it can generate writing that sounds like an actual human wrote it. Um, it's developed by OpenAI, which you just heard. Um, it's a research lab in the Bay Area. Um, It's a for-profit startup owned by a not-for-profit. I'm not a business reporter, so I don't know how that works. Um, But it's it's not like it's coming, you know, this tiny thing coming out of nowhere. Microsoft invested a billion dollars in it in 2019. Um, they might invest $10 billion, as we were just hearing, um, this this year. Wow. Um, so how do you use the actual tool? Right, do you right. just type any prompt in there? And- it's it's a chat bot. So that means that you, you see like a little bar, like a search bar, and you literally type in a question or like an essay prompt um, like you would be, you know, like you would ask a human. Um, and it And it generates, you know, writing in response to that that sounds like a human wrote it. Have you had a chance to play around with it? Yes, I did. Um, what did you think? You know, I was really interested. I, I, you know, some of the teachers I talked to were actually more worried about it generating fake news than um, fake essays. And so I had it write a news story about um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot learning how to dance. Um, <laughs> and and it's clear it has lots of knowledge. You know, it, it knew who Mayor Lightfoot was. It knew she was mayor of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It knew that she was um, going to announce her dance lessons in a press release. Um, <laughs> but I also had it generate a, um, a This American Life story. Um, okay. And, you know, what I noticed with that is it got the format right of like a narration, then tape, then narration, like a script. 
but it did not know how to create an interesting story. It yeah. did not know what was interesting and what was boring. Yeah, I was playing around with it very quickly before chatting with you folks, and, and I asked it about the, the latest updates in the Chicago mayoral race. And while it started out promising, talking about you know the race heating up as the election approaches and Mayor Lightfoot's in there, then it started telling me that Tony Preckwinkle is also in there. And I was like, okay, you're talking about the wrong race. Right. So uh, this brings me now to you, Brady. Let's let's back up a little bit. When did you first hear about ChatGPT? Well, I knew the technologies had been in development for a few years, but um, I found out about it in December when uh, my social media feed was flooded with a torrent of, is this the end of high school English? Is this the end of the college essay? Think pieces. And so that was how I got to to know them a little better and started to have some conversations with my colleagues and, um, and my students. So tell me about those conversations. What are your colleagues saying? Are they concerned? Oh, absolutely. Um, this makes cheating exponentially easier. Um, and I know students have told me that there are classes that they are already using this um, when it's available. Uh, and so they are certainly concerned about that. Um, and I can understand why it's incredibly easy to use it to cheat. Um, but the thing that I've always thought about with cheating and technology, because computers, search engines already have made cheating prevailing and easy. Right. You know, I think when we ask the question, how do we stop students from cheating or how do we catch students cheating or how do we punish students for cheating? I think we're asking the wrong question. I think the question we need to ask is why are they cheating and what is their motivation for that? And how do we address those root causes? And although ChatGPT is going to make this a real problem, I think it also challenges us to ask those big questions and adapt our practice accordingly. Tell us more about uh, what you've been hearing when it comes to cheating, Char, because in your report, you talk about some of these these concerns. Yeah. Um, Brady and one of the other teachers I talked to um, both said that uh, their students not only knew what ChatGPT was, but that they were already using it. And they the students had confessed to Brady and this other teacher that they were using it for other classes, not yeah, for their yeah. classes. <laughs> um, not yours, of course. But, um, you know, I have recently seen... Um, there's a uh, an online um, educational company called Study.com that does these um, educational videos. Um, they did a survey. It's not very scientific, but they had a thousand students um, answer this survey, and 48% of them said that they had used ChatGPT in an online quiz or test. So there's that viral TikTok video of someone mm-hmm. copying his final exam oh, into wow. ChatGPT. I don't know what grade he got, but um, <laughs> 48% of students said they used it for quizzes and tests. 53% they said that they'd used it to write an essay. Um, and 22% said they'd used it to write an outline for an essay. Now, you could debate, you know, which one of those is cheating, you know, using an essay that's generated by a computer, you know, full stop is definitely cheating. That's cheating. But... You know, using an out, you know, generating an outline or a first draft and then making sure all the facts are correct and that you actually agree with them and writing in your own words, you know, is that cheating? And maybe that's why I'm not a teacher because I still think that's right. cheating. <laughs> and, 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 but, but I think all the teachers I've talked to have had more nuanced opinions about that because they know that different students think in different ways and, and that this could be a valuable tool to help kids yeah. plan their writing. And we're going to dig more into the way that you use this, Brady. But, but Char, I'm curious. You, you talk in your piece about uh, school districts in other states having uh, banned the use of AI. Is that being considered here as well? It's being considered. But, um, you know, Chicago has not done what 
um, New York, Los Angeles, uh, Baltimore, and Seattle have done, which is sort of ban it immediately and just block it from their their school computers and networks. Um, sh- Chicago Public Schools uh, told me in a statement that um, they said, "quote It has AI has significant educational value." Um, and so they're going to have to take a measured approach before they consider banning it. So I don't think that would happen anytime soon. I've talked to other suburban schools and districts. They say this is on their radar, but they have not made a decision yet either. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are discussing the use of artificial intelligence in the classroom, specifically ChatGPT. This was developed by the company OpenAI. With me is freelance reporter Char Dastin, who's covering education for WBEZ, and Brady Gunning, who's an English teacher at Jones College Prep. So, Brady, you have fully embraced this AI tool. You started incorporating it in some of your curriculum. So talk to us about how you've done that. Absolutely. Um, You know, and this is uh, with the caveat that it's sometimes hard to get on lately because it's so popular. Uh, but, you know, we've been doing work with comparing our writing to AI writing um, and comparing um, the work that we do to what the AI generates. And I think what we can learn from that is what the AI has figured out about writing that is useful for us and what the AI hasn't figured out about good writing that um, that leaves students uh, still open to the value of doing it themselves. Um, So, for example, uh, last week we spent time looking at Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham Jail, a masterpiece of American rhetoric and writing uh, and important in light of them getting a a day off so they could actually have something to think about on that day. Um, I took a particular passage from there and I asked them to, to look at what was going on, look at his style, look at his strategies, look at his writing structures, and then I asked them to write a passage about something that they feel is important and misunderstood and use that powerful technique in the same way that King does to try to advance their their comments. Right? The next step is then to use the AI bot to create something similar and ask them to compare. What did the AI bot pick up about King's style? Um, what did you pick up about King's style? What is missing? What did this AI bot not see? In the same way, the essays that they're doing today, um, when I give them back, I'm going to show them the AI version of that essay. And we're going to ask them to look. What did the AI figure out about effective writing? What did it not? Let's compare it to some strong student samples, which will help them get a sense of um, how they can understand deep structures of writing the way that this AI has learned it, but also understand its limitations and why it's still valuable for them to produce Which is what confuses me as to, like, what is the point of all of this, right? If 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 we're just asking students to compare uh, to what an AI bot is doing, what what's the point of doing that? Well, absolutely. Um, there's there's two points. Number one, it's to get them to be intrinsically motivated to do the writing themselves to understand that there is intrinsic value in it, which is important, right? Because I think our school system is very good at getting people to see the extrinsic value in getting things done, but not necessarily the intrinsic value in doing it. Uh, and so this is a way to help work that in. And I think also the AI is learning about writing often in the similar ways that that children do, right? We expose it to a lot of language and it starts to pick up patterns and then it's it's given some some hints on how to work with it. All right, and this is what we do as language acquirers as well. So it can help expose them to think about the way they learn about writing and to think about the things that the bot cannot do, right? Which currently it cannot think about a relationship between audience and writer, which is an essential fundamental principle of writing. And 
the bot can't do that, right? The students can, and they'll be able to see that, right? Right. I'm, I'm wearing my, my parent of two high schoolers hat <laughs> right now, so I'm, I'm glad you, you went there because one concern I had initially before, you know, you dove deep into this with me is my kids are just going to lose certain fundamental skills when it comes to writing or math because of all of these yeah. tools, right? I've watched my, my kids are you know, freshmen and sophomore, and I've watched them use other apps to help with algebra. Yeah. And then when it comes test time, they're struggling because they don't actually understand the work that's in front of them. Yep. And so I think the challenge for teachers, and I think this is a good challenge, is to really think deeply about why and how we do things to help them have the intrinsic motivation to understand the value of those writing skills or of those math skills, right? Think about, I mean, the calculator came out decades ago, and that also was a machine that would do a lot of basic math for you, right? And so math right. teachers have, have had to pivot and figure out why this is important, right? And in the same way, it's going to challenge us in ways that I think are going to be good for our profession. So, Char, what things, sum this up for us, what things do you think uh, chat GPT gets right and, and what does it get wrong? Yeah. So um, as Brady said, it's learning how to use language in a human sounding way. So it kind of knows a lot of the codes of different styles of writing. Um, you know, so so there was a, a recent study by Northwestern and U Chicago that said that it could generate scientific paper abstracts that would fool scientists about a third of the time because it knew these sorts of um, like code switching, um, yeah. different different ways of using language that that scientists use, and you know that different types of writers use. Um, it knows a lot of subject matter because it's tra- trained on thousands of books from different time periods. You know, I. Um, tried to have it write an essay on a poem that, you know, not is not assigned in high schools. And it knew what the poem was. It could quote specifics from it. So it's got a vast array of knowledge. Um, you know, the, what it gets wrong is, you know, there are not a lot of specifics. Um, you know, I, I think um, in the going back to the Lori Lightfoot learning how to dance fake story that I made it right, you know, um, it could name Lori Lightfoot. But it couldn't name the dance teacher or the dance studio that she was studying okay. with. Um, it couldn't name, you know, name the constituents that that were interviewed or where they came from. So it doesn't know like people that aren't that aren't public figures. And it also, you know, it has no fact checking, so it can make factual errors. You know, I, I talked to a professor who said uh, one of her colleagues typed in what weighs more, a pound of beef or a pound of pork, and it generated a paragraph about how measurement works. <laughs> but then it also said. Yeah, the pound of beef weighs more. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a sense uh, from other teachers or administrators, Char, that you talked to that to some degree AI in schools, it's just inevitable? Oh, yeah. Um, Brady, I think you were the one who said, like, the toothpaste is not going back in the tube mm-hmm. on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another teacher I talked to, Phil Cantor, he's a science teacher at um, North Grand High School in Humboldt Park. He compared, um, you know, school districts considering banning uh, chat GPT to like 10 years ago when I was in high school and, you know, YouTube was still banned because the, you know, the idea back then was YouTube was, had no educational value. It was where you would go, go to waste time and watch funny cat videos. But, you know, now <laughs> there's a ton of educational stuff on YouTube and, and, and funny cat videos and funny cat videos. I was just going to so say the cat videos are still there. Teachers absolutely, you know, use YouTube in their classrooms. And the other thing that I want to point out is that this AI you know, it makes some silly mistakes right now, but it's learning. Mm-hmm. It's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. So next month, next year, next decade, who knows what it will be able to accomplish. And I think ignoring that, um, a lot of teachers just thought would be a mistake. What did your students think 
you know, when I talked to them about it, um, I was surprised at how many of them recognized that, oh, if I did this, this would be a shortcut that would take away the authentic value of writing. Not to, men- not to mention they're afraid of, you know, getting caught. Were any of them already familiar with ChatGPT? Yeah, I would say it was about half and half, right? Half had weren't familiar and others were and some of them had used it. Um, while I was impressed by how many um, felt that way, I also had students who sort of said, listen, I am dealing with a constant conveyor belt of work that I have to do. And I am scared that if one thing gets by me, that it's going to mean a death spiral for me. So if this tool was available, why wouldn't I use it um, to keep up with when, when everything feels so high stakes and everything's coming at me so fast? Right? And I can empathize with that. I think that's also something we need to look at as a school system. Right? Uh, how can we keep the workload and what they're doing manageable in ways that they can approach it in real and authentic ways instead of having to almost to survive resort to these sort of tactics. Yeah. Well, you've been having these conversations with your colleagues. So I'm curious, do you think that more teachers at Jones College Prep and other schools, are they going to start using tools like this in their curriculum or will there continue to be a divide? I think there will continue to be a divide. I think some people will find ways to lean into it or at the very least have conversations about it, meaningful dialogue with their students about it. And I think others are going to be looking for when's the next AI tool that can now catch them cheating with AI, right? And I think, you know, that will work for a while. And then I think the arms race will continue. Um, Give me best case and worst case scenario in your mind as the technology becomes more mainstream. Best case scenario, um, we adapt our curriculum and our instruction and the way we do school in ways that make more and more students feel authentically motivated to want to do this writing themselves um, or even work in concert with with AI to see what they can learn from it. Um, Worst case scenario, we end up with a divide where, you know, the 10% of students who authentically love writing are are doing the work and then 90% of them are using the bot to clear the work from their pile. Yeah. Brady Gunning is an English teacher at Jones College Prep, and Char Dassin is a freelance reporter covering education for WBEZ. Thank you both. Thank you, Sasha. Sasha, thanks so much for having us. Should school districts be thinking about how to bring AI more into day-to-day education? To give us insight is Leanne DeLizer, executive director of the nonprofit CS for All. That's short for Computer Science for All. Also joining the conversation is Charles Fidel, founder of the Center for Curriculum Redesign, which focuses on creating new school curriculum for the 21st century. He's also the author of the book AI in Education. Charles, why do you think it's important for AI to be incorporated into education? And can you expand on what that means? Certainly. Well, first and foremost, we have to differentiate the the what versus the how of education. In other words, learning about AI, which is what Leanne, I'm sure, will address, versus learning through AI. AI is an education technology, which is something I will also address. So that's critical to set up up front for your listeners. Yeah. Well, tell us a bit about the the Center for Curriculum uh, Development and how AI fits into that. Well, the Center for Curriculum Redesign is uh, has, a, has a mission to rethink all the various curricula for all the disciplines to adapt them to the 21st century. Um, AI is just one of the implications of the 21st century. It's not avoidable, and it's something that needs to be harnessed ethically. So, of course, it has to be part of the conversation, 
just as much as, let's say, CRISPR in biotech would be part of the conversation. Leanne, talk about how AI factors into CS4All's mission. Computer Science for All works at the systems change level. Basically, we're trying to help support everything from the classroom walls out. We work with school administrators, school district leaders, state departments of education, and the federal government to think about how we can make sure that every child in America has access to fundamental learning about computer science. And of course, AI is a key piece of that. And I think the secret at cs all is we're not aimed at making more Googlers. We're just looking for the future problem solvers here in our country and making sure that all of them have technology as a key part of their toolbox as they move into that next phase of life. So how early are we talking about here when it comes to recommendations for for AI being introduced in the classroom? Are we talking K through 12 or more like college? No, we're absolutely talking K through 12. Artificial intelligence and, you know, as your other guest mentioned, not just the usage of it, but fundamentally understanding how it impacts our lives is a key part of the standards recommended for students all the way down into kindergarten. Um, And so the Computer Science Teachers Association has a broad set of standards, and there's actually an organization, AI for K-12, that has very specific learning standards for students that span all the way down to kindergarten. Charles, do you see AI as, as maybe something that could one day replace a teacher in the classroom, or is this more of a teaching aid? It should be a teaching aid, really. Uh, the, it's, it's, the, technology has always had this uh, aura of wishful thinking of silver bullet that somehow will magically fix all the, the ills of education. That's unlikely to be the case, at least in my lifetime. And uh, AI is just one, one of them. Uh, so we can certainly have AI supplement, improve, and let's say be an exoskeleton for a teacher for an educa- from an education technology perspective but definitely not replace the teacher. It's very similar, let's say, to, to YouTube. If you're only lecturing and you're lecturing to the masses, sure, you could be replaced. But teacher is a lot, teaching is a lot more than merely lecturing. And so teaching that engages the students, uh, pays attention to the social emotional needs, uh, becomes a, a guide, etc. that's not going to be done by an AI anytime soon. Yeah. Well, Leanne, are there examples of schools or school districts that have incorporated AI into their school curriculum? Absolutely. And just to build off the last answer, AI is already in the classroom, and it's been in the classroom for 30 plus years. Many of our curriculum provide many of our curriculum supporters for um, standard disciplines like mathematics and English and reading already use AI-powered tools for practice environments, and to supplement teacher instruction. So AI has been in the classroom now for decades, but it's been teacher-facing and not student-facing in terms of the transparency there. Dig more into that, that teacher-facing versus student-facing? What do you mean by that? Absolutely. I did my graduate degree at Carnegie Mellon University, and they work really closely with a company called Carnegie Learning, which has a very popular math practice software out there. And the math practice software uses AI to give when kids are in the environment. It knows about the student and it gives them the next problem to maximize their learning. But even with that, it's a practice environment. And so it complements teacher instruction 
The teachers are prompted to teach multiple days a week, but still use this practice environment to give students the most rigorous practice at exactly the level they need it in that moment. I see. So I, I want to hear from you both on this. What do you see as the biggest challenges facing educators when it comes to, to students using AI? You first, Charles. Well, the first part is uh, overcoming the hype uh, because there's a, AI is now used as a cash word to mean anything that's slightly adaptive or, um, uh, or uh, simply algorithmic. There are plenty of algorithms that don't use AI. There are plenty of adapt- adaptive teaching tools that don't use AI. So uh, there's, of course, this uh, marketing hype about AI this and AI that. It's a bit like the e-something that was used in the early days or i-something that was used in the early days of the Internet. There's a lot of hype there. Second, um, there are, of course, experiments that need to be run, and we're seeing a lot of interesting experiments where AI is used in different roles. And I would say they fall into three major roles for the time being. One is to consider them content creators, but that's really giving them too much credit. The second one and more likely one is the advisor or facilitator to your own content creation. And that, of course, comes with with the caveat of uh, verifiability and and trustworthiness. And the third one is as an interlocutor, uh, someone you just talk to and uh, and have enjoyed that kind of back and forth with a quote-unquote being. So uh, three different modes all being explored in various ways by the teaching community over the next year, we'll see a lot of chaff go away and see where things stabilize. Leanne, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges here? I think the biggest challenge really centers on this notion of what we should include in our classrooms. And we, we go back all the time to, like, what are the learning outcomes, right? What do kids really need to know and be able to do to interact in this modern world? And AI is all around them. It's even all around them in the classroom. And we have to be careful because if we don't teach the tools, then the tools are going to teach the kids. And what I mean by that, if we are not taking a proactive view, uh, like your earlier guest sharing how he used the AI tool to support student learning, then the kids are going to grab these tools and pull them into their environment and let the tool teach them. And so we want to take a proactive view. We want to have discussions about what AI can power, what is responsible use, so that we can truly help students understand where the usage of the tools is appropriate and where using the tools might actually be detrimental to the kinds of learning outcomes that they need to be successful, not just on the test at the end of the week, not on the paper you're going to turn in tomorrow, but with the whole purpose for education which is to really help them be successful later in life. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're discussing the use of artificial intelligence in the classroom. I'm speaking with Charles Fidel, who's founder of the Center for Curriculum Redesign and author of the book AI in Education. Also with us is Leanne DeLizer, who's executive director of CS for All. That's a nonprofit working to teach more kids computer science. So sticking with you for a moment, Leanne, how important is it for kids to understand how algorithms like Dolly work? Absolutely. And it's so funny because there's this amazing tweet from a teacher in New York City that I've worked with in the past um, talking about a project they used where they were using Dolly and Soundtrap um, 
together with ChatGPT to generate lyrics about an emotion that they were having as a part of the social and emotional learning curriculum within a special needs classroom, right? So we're really talking about a teacher who's fully embracing how kids can be empowered by these tools. Now, I want you to think for a minute the challenge, what happens in well-resourced districts where teachers embrace this if, compared to that, less resourced districts, it gets banned, teachers are told no, they don't have access, or they can't even access the tools through because they don't have good access to good broadband. Mm-hmm. We simply continue to stratify the educational outcomes across our society and once again create you know, places with youth who can and places with youth who could if they had the exposure um, but are being blocked from accessing what the next generation of work and professionalism in this country will look like. And Charles, I, I really appreciate the discussion that we're having today because as a parent with two daughters in high school, I, I did have initial concerns that they could end up just relying too much on tools like chat GPT. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if, if they do so, it'll blow up in their faces rather quickly because it will give, uh, you know, very wrong answers that will be detected by whomever they submit the answers to. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a verifiability problem uh, for the time being. It may be improved, but uh, I think it's going to force your daughters to become better critical thinkers in a sense. They're going to have to figure out how to ask the right questions to chat GPT or equivalent and figure out whether the answers are correct. So if they're writing an essay on Hobbes, they better know what Hobbes was actually meaning if they are to debunk the AI itself. So it simply may push them upward in their critical thinking. So it's not necessarily a bad thing by any stretch. Um, But I also want want to uh, mention something that is necessary from a from a what perspective, we need to differentiate between digital literacy versus learning computer science itself. In other words, you need to be literate to drive the tool, like driving the car, but you don't need to have a degree in mechanical engineering to understand how the engine works, which is computer science. So even within the what, we need to make sure that we teach both aspects differently and at different times in K-12 and higher ed. But just keep that distinction clear, the same way that we have the distinction between the what and the how clear in our minds. Very important. Leanne, we're just about out of time, but leave us with with this here in in our final minute. What do you think the future holds for this tech in classrooms? What are the next steps? I I think there's a lot of promise in the next steps, and there's a missing piece in this conversation that we're having today, which is teachers. We're concerned so much about the students cheating and using ChatGPT, but we really need to focus on is how do we upskill our teachers in order to do what that amazing teacher that was on the show earlier does in his classroom? Because with that, we're simply adding to the promise of what these students can achieve uh, and helping teachers realize that potential with all the tools in their toolbox uh, in order to create our next generation of problem solvers. Leanne Delizer is executive director at the nonprofit CS for All, and Charles Fidel is founder of the Center for Curriculum Redesign. Thank you both so much. This episode of Reset was produced and edited by Andrew Merriweather. 
To hear conversations you could never get from artificial intelligence, subscribe to the Reset Podcast. We share thoughtful conversations every day of the week and on Saturdays. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.